Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, here again, a portion of our, our reading. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you might be tested, and for din ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So far our reading. Uh, tonight we continue our meditations on the second of the seven letters of the churches of Revelation. Tonight it's the letter to the church in Smyrna. And the letter to Smyrna is a bit different. Uh, last week, we heard Jesus rebuke Ephesus for their internal decay, right? They were zealous for pure doctrine, and that was good. They hated falsehood, that was good. But they had become rabid with their desire to be right while everyone else is wrong. They had forgotten that pure doctrine is the basis of pure love, and they had lost their zeal for the truth because it had set them free. But instead, they simply wanted to root out falsehood so that they could be debunk the heretics. Right? It's all about owning the people who were wrong. It was about proving that they were right for the sake of being right, rather than demonstrating the truth for the sake of Christ, his dignity, and the eternal salvation of those who receive him in grace. But now Smyrna... Their dilemma is altogether different. Smyrna's troubles didn't come from the inside, but they were coming from the outside. The congregation is suffering for their faith. They are impoverished, and yet you get a sense that their poverty isn't natural, but that they are cast into their sorrowful estate because those who hate the gospel are using their means to attack the church. And their attacks upon the Smyrnans had only just begun. The heat was just about to be turned up to 11, and many of them were going to be imprisoned, and some of them may even die. And Jesus, rather than rebuking them, seeks to comfort them and encourage them. And this comfort and encouragement begins with how Jesus identifies himself to that suffering congregation. He says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Above all things, these words are comforting to God's church. Because Jesus invites them to remember exactly who it is that they are following through their tribulations. They're following the Jesus, the one who died. And he's also the one who rose from the dead. The enemies of the gospel aren't doing anything new when they are attacking the congregation in Smyrna. But they're doing what they did at the very beginning because their hatred for Jesus was apparent at the very beginning. The blasphemy and the rejection of the Holy Spirit were so strong, they killed Jesus. What do you think they're going to do to you? They hated him with a pure hatred, and they killed him for no other reason 
than that he was the Son of God. That's what we see when the Jews uh, are upset and uh, taking counsel with each other after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. They take, take counsel among themselves and they say, what are we to do? This man performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They knew the signs Jesus was performing were truthful. They knew the words that Jesus had spoken were faithful. They knew that he was faithfully fulfilling the word of the prophets from the Old Testament. They knew that this would mess up the very delicate political power that they had negotiated and built for themselves with the Romans. And that's why they resolved that Jesus had to die. They loved the kingdoms of this world so deeply. They loved the comforts and the pleasures of this world so intensely that they hated anything that offered an alternative. And that hatred carries over to Jesus' disciples. As Jesus preaches the night that he was betrayed, he tells his disciples, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Here Jesus makes it very clear. As the disciples go out to bear and minister the word of God, the world will despise them. They will be hated for Christ's name's sake. And if they kill him for being the Son of God, they will certainly seek to kill his followers for preaching him. Christ does not hide this from his disciples. He wants them to know what the world will do. He says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they do not know the Father and they do not know me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He also reminds them, though, as they are going to come after, as they are going to attack, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's why Jesus identifies himself to the Smyrnans as the one who died and came to life. He's reminding the Smyrnan church exactly why Jesus has conquered for them. Exactly what Jesus has conquered to them. He says, yes, they will take your money. Yes, they will put you in prison. Yes, they may even kill you. They will certainly slander you. But really, that's the worst they can do. Because yours is not a dead hope. I am not a dead Savior. We have Peter. He, he calls this a living hope. He reminds us of this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, because 
he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and guarded in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by trials so that the genuine tested testedness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the synagogue of Satan, his weapons against the church are always the same. They're sin, death, wealth, and reputation. Temptation towards wealth, Temptation towards the love of the world, threats with sin, threats with death. And you know what we say to those, as those who are comforted and encouraged by the one who died and came to life? So what? What do these weapons do? What can they do to you? Can they rob you of the gospel? Then can, can they erase your name? from the book of life? Can they throw you into the second death that is in hell? No. Because your inheritance is guarded in heaven by God himself. No amount of suffering, no amount of havoc, no amount of slander can remove that from you. And that is what Jesus is reminding the church in Smyrna. He already has won. He's already conquered these attackers. And these enemies are simply lashing out as a result of their defeat. And so what can we say about them, this, this synagogue of Satan? Well, it's those who believe that they're on the right side of history. They believe that they're guarding and defeating what's good and right and defending what's good and right. Their consciences are so deluded that they believe that what they're doing to the church is a service to God. They first attack the Christians by wielding their financial and cultural influence, by preventing them from having any access to anything, anything that helps them make a living. And so they repossess, they fire, they starve. And in this way, they believe that they are suppressing and punishing some sort of falsehood. They think by suppressing and harming the Christians, making it impossible for them to make a living, that they're rendering a great service to God. They want it impossible and detestable to be a Christian in Smyrna. They want participation in the Christian church to be so unbearable that no one would dream of taking part of it. And so now the Christians are impoverished. Perhaps these same things happen today. We, we think about um, uh, the famous cases that surround Jack Phillips, who refuses to celebrate and design cakes for the LGBTQIA plus sign, minus sign, dollar sign, hashtag events that take place in this world. Uh, they would be a violation of his Christian conscience. And what have the opponents of the world done? Well, they keep on attacking. He, he wins his first case in the Supreme Court, only to be attacked and sued again and again. And not by some outlying zealotry from the opposition, but even by his state and local government. His business is barely able to remain open or function just for the sake of his conscience. 
the sort of thing even happens in the so-called Christian institutions that we have within our church. The Reverend Dr. Gregory Schultz is an example of this. He was indefinitely suspended and banned from his campus for not accepting the demands to embrace worldly ideologies of diversity, equity, and inclusion in his Christian classrooms. An ordained pastor in the Missouri Synod told, told, no, you cannot challenge this. He slandered and accused of racism and bigotry for proclaiming Christian reconciliation over and above prescribed social grievances. And we now see Christian parents being sentenced to jail time for being unwilling to transition their children to another gender. As a father in Canada is facing 45 days in prison for not obeying a court order that, he re- that demanded he refer to his son as a girl. Christians, simply by living in their conscience, are being told you can't speak, you can't make a living, you cannot function and live in this world, and if you keep trying to do what you're doing, we're going to make life hard for you. There is nothing new under the sun. The synagogue of Satan will always be seeking ways to make Christian life seem fruitless, painful, ugly, and worthy of nothing but scorn. And to this, Jesus speaks plain and simple words. Do not fear. Do not fear what you are about to suffer Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you might be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. See, Jesus says that you will be tested, that your faith will be put through the crucible of public disdain, personal enmity and slander, legal assault, and even the threat of death. But what does Jesus say to this? He says, be faithful. And to be faithful is to hold and to cherish the gospel of Christ as the highest and most perfect good for you. It's the most priceless treasure that we have in this life. All things might be lost except this one thing, that Jesus has died and risen for me. Or as the old hymn says, One thing's needful, Lord, this treasure, teach me highly to regard. All else, though at first give pleasure, is a yoke that presses hard. Beneath it the heart is still fretting and striving, no true lasting happiness ever deriving. This one thing is needful, all others are vain. I count all but loss that I Christ may obtain. They want to take, let them. They want to attack, laugh at them. This is what the Christian martyrs used to do. As they would put them on trial, seek to humiliate them, many of the Christian martyrs would mock their executioners. They would mock them for what they thought they could take. They would mock them for the pain they thought they could bring. This is what Polycarp does as he mocks the atheist around him. And so here we have from Jesus perfect encouragement. So what if they attack you? What does it matter if they take your stuff what are their prison sentences, their, their threats of violence, their tips to ro- uh, attempts to rob you of hope and comfort? These are idle and weak threats. What has been given to you cannot be stripped away by the assaults of the synagogue of Satan. You can only lose it if you decide to. 
They can't take it away from you. Only you can give it up. You can toss the treasure of the gospel aside and turn to receive the favor and acceptance of all the world. No doubt this will earn you the praise of all of the world and they will bestow on you all of their false and fleeting promises of righteousness. But if you do so, you will lose your crown and they will drag you into the second death with them. So don't succumb to their attack. But see them as what they really are. They're flies at an outdoor feast. They're a nuisance. They're a bother. They're things to be swatted away with the word of God and nothing else. What harm can they really do? And the answer is nothing. They cannot take what Christ has freely given. And if you remember, they tried to do all of this with Jesus. For a moment, they thought they had succeeded They had made him look foolish. They had made him look weak. They had made the God of the people lead, and then they killed him. He was put into a grave, and they thought they had succeeded. But the grave could not hold him. He rose, and in this he has overcome their final and ultimate weapon. And so what? So what? Can they speak their words of slander? We swat them away with the word of God. Can they take away your livelihood? We swat them away with the power of Christ. So what if they kill us? We follow Jesus, and if the grave could not contain him, it certainly will not contain you who bear his name. That's what St. Paul is talking about in Romans 8. He says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us everything? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Conquerors. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stand firm. When you are tested, when you are assaulted, when you are slandered, when the world comes after you, be immovable. You've won. The victory belongs to you. You, dear Christians, do not need to cower to the world and its demands. No, you are children of God. You are crown bearers. Whatever threats or promises that the world bears, they're empty compared to the future glory of the Christian who's forgiven by Jesus. And so be faithful, even unto death. Be bold. Be immovable. If they strip it away, if they try to take, 
if they try to remove your good name, as they try to throw any form of suffering at you, well, they can only take so much. But they can't take the gospel. And they can't kill your living hope. So let us pray. Father in heaven, guard our hearts and protect us from the assaults of the synagogue of Satan. Help us to be faithful so that we can endure every attack of the evil one and set the promise of eternal life before our eyes so that we can always find hope and encouragement for the victory that we share in Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds and the truth, faith, the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.